Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. This particular interview was a tremendous honor and privilege. Allow me to provide you some background. My mom was 16 years old when she gave birth to me. She often says we grew up together. While this is a sweet and sentimental truth, it comes with great trouble. Growing up in Memphis, Tennessee and North Mississippi, we were subject to much of the violence that tends to be common there. Not only so, when you start life contrary to the word of God, it just brings trouble. My mom was extensively involved in abusive relationships, one of which lasted eight years. The man was particularly violent and regularly beat my mom, at times right in front of my brother, my sister, and myself. This at least played a role in my growing up to be an angry and violent young man. I cannot blame these things fully because I still had my own choices to make, but it certainly facilitated my mentality to some extent. This all culminated with an eventual confrontation by law enforcement, the result of which required me to seek counseling or face the possibility of serving jail time. My faithful mother came to my rescue. She began searching for a place where I could receive suitable counseling. Somehow she found a small, obscure Christian counselor in South Haven, Mississippi. She made arrangements for my first visit. Once there, I met my friend, Richard Kilpatrick. He has been a fixture of faithful service to Jesus Christ in my life ever since that meeting. He was the first man to sit down with me and show me things out of the Bible. He was the first person to show me God's concern with my actions and my life. I was amazed to learn God spoke in such detail regarding various aspects of our lives. I had no idea, but I fell in love with the word of God at that point. Richard Kilpatrick would set the stage in my heart for my eventual conversion and my eventual zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ. I am honored to introduce to you my friend, Richard Kilpatrick. I'm Richard Kilpatrick, and I serve the Lord any way I can, anywhere I can, all the time, uh, at all times. But 
Right now, my ministry is mostly taking care of my wife. Briefly, tell us about the members of your immediate family. Married, been married 53 years. Wow. And uh, praise the Lord for that. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to me outside of Jesus, and he gave her to me. So I feel like that's a blessing. Then my daughter, uh, it's a miracle uh, because we thought we were going to lose her. And uh, she's married and uh, been married about 12 years now. So praising the Lord for that. And that's pretty much my immediate family. Okay. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Really? Yes. Okay. Now, did you moved out of Memphis at some point? After I got married. Okay. So it wasn't in your childhood. No. 20 years I spent here in Memphis, and then we got married and moved to Chattanooga, went to school, and then there we went to Florida for six years, and then we were 25 years in Griffith, Indiana. So. Okay. Okay. Now, I knew you had been around a little bit, I just, but I wasn't sure if it was from your childhood or, or through your adult life. Right here in Memphis. So what was life like for you as you grew up from childhood to your teenage years? And what was the religious background of, of that time? I was very young. The only religion we knew, quote, was Catholicism because my grandmother would take us to the Catholic church and okay. go to mass and do all the stuff. And uh, But my father was probably one of the wildest, meanest men in Memphis. Wow. He was a... Uh, an enforcer for the mayor here, and uh, he did a lot of things that maybe uh, somebody was supposed to do something, sure. and they didn't do it. Well, he made sure they did it. Wow. You know? And uh, he smoked, cussed, drank, gambled, beat people up, killed people. He, I mean, so in our early my early life, and I don't know why or how my mother, he discovered my mother, but she was not saved, and she didn't know anything about the Lord either. So that's kind of how the first maybe six, eight years of my life went. And uh, uh, just my dad was always good. He, he didn't beat us or anything, but he was just a, a wild man. I sure. mean, he was just sure. wild. And then the, my mother, uh, a neighbor invited her to go to a Bible study, and uh, she accepted the Lord as her personal Savior, and she was afraid to tell my dad. Wow. But uh, he noticed something had happened. And he kept asking, what's going on? And she says, <laughs> well, I'm just different. I'm just changed, you know. And uh, I, we could tell she had something had happened, too. And, and, but she was afraid to tell him because that wasn't necessarily something that uh, she didn't know how he would respond. Sure. Well, one day he followed her, and she went to church. <laughs> and she was down front just soaking it up, and he was in the back. And when the invitation came, he came forward and got saved. Wow. Changed his life. My dad didn't even know how to read and write. He learned how to read and write in the Bible. And, and when he, after he got, but he got radically, radically, radically saved. No drinking, cussing, gambling, everything just left. And he quit his job and, and became a fireman. But uh, my mother, just she, for weeks and weeks, she cried because she couldn't believe it was real. <laughs> Amen. And it changed our house, uh, just the atmosphere in our home, and uh, it really made a difference. And one of his biggest enemies that he had had many, many battles with said, well, I'll see how saved he is, came over to see him, and he was so shocked with what happened to my dad. He got saved, and they became best friends. No way. So that was just a miracle. And uh, so... His name was Byram, and it's just a great story. It had to be the Lord. And wow. So it changed our lives, and, and my mother started teaching us the Bible. And uh, so we found a church, and uh, 
started going to that church, and God just blessed us. And my mother, we didn't have devotion. She she would read the Bible and teach us the Bible. And uh, just, I mean, man, we, we, we studied it like memorized verses before we could have dessert or anything. We had to, we had, had to quote our Bible verses. And yeah. so, so we began to learn the Bible, and, and she taught us a real love for the Word of God. And wow. uh, so we were going to church all the time. That's kind of and then at the age of about 10, I accepted Jesus Christ, my personal Savior, and uh, knew that even though I was a good kid because I didn't really have a choice, my daddy— you're going to be good or I'm going to knock your head off. Yeah. That kind of thing. So uh, he was still the enforcer in your yeah, home. Right. Well, just to show you the difference in my dad, I mean, in our home, uh, I was about eight or nine and before my dad got saved. And um, like I said, and he came home one day, my mom was kind of wiping the blood off of me. And he says, what's wrong? He says, well, Jerry next door beat him up. He said, what? He grabbed me up by the shoulders and he shook me and he said, you get back out there and you whip that kid or you don't come back home. <laughs> so I went out there and I, I, I almost, I, I, they called the cops on me, man. I, I almost killed the kid. Uh, I, so that's, after all that, he changed. He never wanted me to fight. He never wanted me to, you know, he just, it just made a difference in our home. And yeah. we could tell that the Lord had done a work. And so I'm thankful for that. And then, uh, as we went into church, and I just fell in love with the Lord and the Bible and things. And at age about 12, just before I started junior high school, I sensed the Lord was calling me into the ministry. So wow. I was able to prepare the rest of my life, junior high, senior high school, and started uh, going with my pastor everywhere I could go to, to see what he would do and meet with him and see what he did and what he recommended for uh, you know, I started going to visitation, soul winning, started uh, going to Christian camps and doing all kinds of things I could to, to learn about the ministry. And, it, you know, at 15, I started preaching and didn't know anything else to do. And uh, uh, and it, I got ordained and uh, licensed and then ordained and went to Bible college and then uh, Tennessee Temple College. And I went to a seminary and uh my dad said I got educated beyond my intelligence, but <laughs> he said he liked me better when I was ignorance on fire rather than intelligence on ice. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, and then I met Paulette uh, in high school. I, most people just locked up in their high school. Well, I enjoyed playing sports and doing different things, but I didn't, I knew where, where I was going, what I was yeah. going to be doing. And uh, so... I didn't go to all the activities that the other kids went to because I had other activities I thought were more fun, enjoyed more and stuff. And when you ask a girl out, but the first question you ask her is, do you want to be a preacher's wife? <laughs> kind of cuts through the slack, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, and she was the first one who said yes. So I said, must be <laughs> she, she must be the one. <laughs> so, uh, and, and so we we just knew what the Lord had called us to do, so... Uh, in December of 1966, uh, we got married and moved to Chattanooga. Wow. So, so then throughout your teenage years, you, I guess it's safe to say you were not a rebellious teenager. You were. I, I didn't. Well, when my dad, like I had, he didn't rebellion wouldn't be a, a good. Thing. Wasn't an option. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be a good opportunity for you. <laughs> okay. Wow. Uh, but uh, no, I, I, I always knew what I was called to do, and. Uh, I was going to have enough regrets as it was, but I didn't want anything to sure. 
uh, you know, to interfere with the ministry opportunities. And I was, I, I really was busy doing, you know, I was going to school and working and, and, and preaching and doing other things too. So I didn't really have a, you know, even in high school, we had Bible clubs in those days. And I went every morning, I'd get to school early and go to Bible club and, and do things like that. And so I, I didn't have much opportunity to get too far off the Amen. path. And just thank the Lord, because I would have been probably as, as wild as my dad if I hadn't been saved. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. I have the same personality he does and everything else. But the Lord did a work. And, and after I met Pauletta, it was a lot easier because she was so great, you know, because she was so calm and quiet and kind and sweet and meek and mild. <laughs> uh, we were nothing alike. She's yeah. smart. She's good looking. <laughs> so during that time growing up, especially in your childhood and your teenage years, um, either before or after their salvation, what was your relationship like with your, your mom and your dad? My dad and I became very, very close wow. because my dad, my brother and and my mother were, were closer because he was the first son that had lived after two had died. And uh, and they kind of spoiled him, but not, still a good kid, but I mean not. Uh, but she particularly doted on him because of that. But my dad, I had been a real sick child, too. I had a lot of, I was in the hospital about 30 times before I was six years old, so they didn't think I was going to make it. But wow. I, that's another reason I believe the Lord laid his hands on me. To, he preserved me for that. But uh my dad and I got to be very close, taught him how to read and write through the Bible, and uh, just uh, he became a soul winner. Uh, just he would witness to everybody. I mean, because <laughs> he'd say, you know, you could tell he, he, he had that rough looking face, you know, and he had that gruffle voice and that heart, and people think he's just a tough guy, but then they'd tell him, listen, Jesus changed my life. And, wow. and uh, I don't know all the theology, but I know Jesus. I, I know God. I don't know all of, all the other stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he would always say he wasn't qualified and do anything. My mother started teaching Bible studies, and, I mean, she just she soaked it up. She just, but my dad was just, you know, he'd just tell people, you're not saved. You're missing life. You're not living. Wow. And so it was it was exciting. And, and so we were very close, and, you know, I'm thankful for that. Amen. And so— from your teenage years to your adult life, you you pretty much graduated high school and then went straight to Bible school. Mm-hmm. And where, where did you go to Bible school and how did that work out for all you? Right. Uh, I'm so old now that all the schools I went to are out of business. <laughs> are out of business. Would you really? Uh, there there was there was a Mid South Bible College. James B. Crichton was the uh, president of the college, and uh, my mother had gone there for some adult Bible studies, you know, and stuff, but. That's where we went to Bible College, and uh, so uh, my wife got to go there for a couple of years, and I went, and then I knew that I was probably going to need more training, more formal training, more, uh, you know, I don't want to say education, but I want to say just some more, uh, to open some more doors and stuff, so I just felt the Lord leading us to go to school at Tennessee Temple, where I got my BA and got my Master's of Divinity there. Okay, and then later on, twenty years later, I got my doctorate. But other than that, I mean, uh, I served in churches the whole time. I was always a, a youth director, assistant pastor, or something like that, uh, while I was going to school as well as working. So, just knew the Lord was good to us. Amen. Uh, 
Not many people can get married and not have a job and not have a place to live, but just know God's going to do it. <laughs> so it's a, lot, it's a lot better to lean on Him than to trust myself, you know. Yeah. So her parents weren't too excited about that. They, <laughs> you know, what, you don't have a job? No. Oh, you don't have a job? <laughs> I said, oh, I'm going to get one. I mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, the Lord always took care of us and Amen. blessed us. Yes, sir. Now, uh, you, you mentioned when you came to know the Lord. Tell us again how old you were and how did that come come to be? How did that happen? Well, I'd seen the change, of course, in my dad and my mom and things. But And, and like I said, I didn't have a choice of anything but a pretty good kid. But I knew that something was missing. And I'd hear preachers talk about being born again and all that stuff. And, you know, how much theology I knew, virgin birth and deity of Christ and all that. I don't know about all that when I was that age at 10. But I knew that, that you know, my purpose was I wanted to be a good kid. I wanted I wanted people to like me. I wanted to do the right things and stuff. And then I realized that's the wrong motive and I needed to have a purpose and a goal. And that's when I realized even though I was a good kid, I was still a sinner and I needed Jesus to save me. And I invited him into my life to just, you know, Lord, what would you have me do? And I surrendered to him and that, and recognized his who he was and what I needed and, and received his grace and uh, accepted him. Where, where Were you at a church or were you at home or where, where were you? I was, well, I made the public decision, of course, at a church. Yeah. Berkeley Baptist here in Memphis, but. Uh, wow. Where's that at? It's over on Summer Avenue. Okay. It was a it was a big church then, but then we moved to a little church. We would meet in the house, and we helped build that church up, and that's really where I got my formal training. Not formal training. What's the word I want to say? Experience. My, yeah, my experience and <laughs> yeah. and the real live what church ministry in life is all about. There, yeah. that church with Pastor Gasaway, and uh, that's where I was licensed and ordained in Macon Road Baptist Church, and. Okay. Um, uh, just it was a great thing to do. It was it was the right thing to do. But uh, I just knew that there was something different. Just like when he called me to preach, I knew that uh, even though I was making money or doing whatever, I knew that this 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 was what God wanted me with my life. He went, he had a different plan, and so I just said, "This is what I'm going to be." So. <laughs> Now, what what brought about your interest, or, or at what point, and and what brought about your interest to then be more serious about serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and and maybe even the possibility of going into full time ministry? What because as I would do other things, school, work, play with kids, get in sports, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't. As a kid, you don't say fulfilling. You say, I, I don't even want to use the word happy. I did. It, it was fun. I enjoyed it. The kids were great. I played ball. I, you know, whether I was any good or not, it's another story, but I enjoyed it and did the normal things kids do. But I had a more serious side of my life. And when I had opportunities to read the Bible, pray, teach a class or lead the music or speak or something, I, that just, I could just tell that was what God wanted me to do. I, I didn't, uh, I can't point to, you know, January the 3rd, yeah. 1960 yeah. one or Jesus called me uh, uh, I can tell you that I just knew that just I had something that I was going to be doing beside all this sure. so it never interested me that I you know missed a game or I missed a something uh, 
I, did, I didn't think I was giving up anything because it's really what I wanted to do. You know, it's, and well, so it's what you wanted to do. And how old are you currently? And how long have you been serving the Lord Jesus Christ at this point? I've just turned 74 May this month. And uh, I was licensed in 1963 and I was ordained in 1965. Wow. So. Ever how many years that is? <laughs> long time, isn't it? It is a long time. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Fifty-five years at least. Yeah, it's it's well over fifty years. That's that's a blessing. Well, we, we, well what is, I don't know who who, who said it. I, I, I could think of it a minute, but somebody said if you're doing what you like, it's not work. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's just what God. Do you, Do you regret any of it? I regret that I didn't do a better job. I wasn't a better servant. I wasn't more committed. More. You know, you, you, even now I'm, I'm having an opportunity to do counseling, different things, and mm-hmm. I'll do a funeral or something here and there and different opportunities to speak or do a conference or something. But you always wish you could do more. I, I'll give you one example. I'll just give you, and you didn't ask for this, but I'll give it to That's you. That's all right. Anyway, when I was in Chattanooga, I was, I was working and going to school. And so after school, I would go to work. There was a guy at work who, who was a... Jewish fellow who I, his name was Jaime, I got to be pretty close to him, and, and he would ask me to even buy groceries and bring them to his house, and I mean, he got sick and went to the hospital, and and uh, I knew the Lord had wanted me to go see him. And so one day after school, before work, I was going to drive to the hospital, and I went all the way up into the parking lot, drove around the parking lot, but it was raining. And I didn't want to get wet before I went to work because I worked in the frozen foods and I didn't yeah. want to be wet in the frozen <laughs> food. And I, I, so I said, well, I'll come tomorrow. And he died. Wow. I never told him about Jesus. Wow. And so I made a promise to the Lord that I never miss another opportunity after that. Sure. Tell somebody about Jesus. Right. They're going to hear it once. I won't try to cram it down their throat or beat them to, over the head with it. But that's when I made a vow that if there's ever an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, I'm going to do it. Amen. And uh, I just felt so convicted. Sure. And even 40 years or so later, is, I, 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 I'm not saying he's in hell because of me, but I'm not saying oh, sure. I, I missed the opportunity that right. I should have taken. Yes, sir. So it hurts even now. Wow. That's, you know, I feel responsible. Not that, you know, uh, but but God wanted me to go and tell him. Yeah. And so I I made that commitment to him that it's an opportunity I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Yes, sir. I I don't know if you wanted that story or not, but that's that's one I tell you. I think that, I think people probably need to hear that story. That's, that's a blessing. You know, there's, there have probably been too many opportunities that, that many of us, if not all of us, miss on a regular basis. And and the context of that story is the proper way to think about it. You missed an opportunity for that person to at least hear one time the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for them. And and we need to take this far more serious. So, Well, I, I knew that that relationship we had had, had developed to a point where I could do it and not offend him. He knew I was a Christian, and I knew he was a Jew and, and all that, but we had 
you know, it was just important and I didn't do it. Yes, sir. Now, how did you meet Miss Paulette and how much money did it take for you to convince her to marry you? (laughs) (laughs) Our sisters were going to to, uh, elementary school together and, and she was going to another uh, elementary school than I was. But when we went to junior high school, our families kind of interacted, but uh, they went to another church and they, you know, and she just lived where I, she could see my house and I could see her house. But one Sunday, my mother said that they were going to visit our church and she wanted me to be friendly to Paulette because she knew Paulette was shy. So when she came that Sunday, I was leading the music in the intermediate department. I asked her to play the piano, and that's how we met. Wow. <laughs> and it just kind of took off from there? or Well, uh, how old were you again? I was probably 15, 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she thought I was a little outgoing, you know, too Two, two rambunctious and <laughs> too aggressive, whatever word you she want was, to say. She was right. So. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Told corny jokes and uh, <laughs> oh, no. I dressed like a nerd. And I didn't have all the, she was a sophisticated lady. She was prim and proper and did everything. I mean, uh, man, she sat straight up in the chair. She kept her feet on the floor, never crossed her legs. She kept her hands in her lap. She <laughs> wow. was always in school. Everywhere she went, she was the lady. I mean, lady. she was a lady. Amen. She didn't speak and she didn't cause a problem. And man, and my family said, she's out of your class. And I said, well, I don't have a class. <laughs> They're all out of my class. But anyway, um, so after that, um, one day in school, I just asked her, I said, you love the Lord? And she said, yeah. I said, you ever thought about being a pastor's wife? And she says, well, that's what I believe God's called me to do. So after that, it got to be, I knew that was pretty much the one. So, like I said, it cuts through the slack. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a good pickup line. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now, I received a phone call from you in 2005 and you sounded very broken on the other end of the phone call, uh, which scared me because I always called you when I had trouble. You never, you never called me and, and rightly so, especially at the time. But, uh, can you tell us a little about, a little bit about her current situation and how she came to be in that situation? About 15 years ago next week, um, we had recently moved back here to Memphis, and uh, it just looked like we were with our family, and I was serving at a good church, Bellevue Baptist, and on the staff there, and things were going well, and looked like, you know, man, this is going to be great, and this is, can't believe the Lord blessed us this much, put us here with her mom, my mom, you know, our families for the first time, because for 40 years we had lived away and, and not even been here for weddings or funerals or anything else and so we were thankful and and uh, so one day I was going to work and asked her if she wanted the car she says no I'm going to ride my bicycle and my daughter lived just a few blocks away and uh, she was going to go over to my daughter's house and, and uh, help her clean the house because she was going to have company later that, that week and 
my daughter said, what do you want my cars? And my daughter worked at a church, too. She was an uh, office manager for a church at the time. And uh, and she said, no, I want to ride my bicycle. So she was riding her bicycle and uh, went down a hill. And the sidewalk was, was great. But then for two of the little blocks of the sidewalk, there's gravel. And when she hit the gravel, it threw over her bicycle and she hit her head and caused traumatic brain injury. And uh, when they called me, all they told me was that she'd fallen on her bicycle. Well, I'm thinking, you know, broke her leg or, you know, arm or something. And, you know, uh, that's bad, but, you know. Sure, sure. But then when we rushed to the hospital, they were going to take her to a hospital that's just a few blocks from here, but then they took her down to the a trauma center, and, the, and uh, when we went down to the trauma center, they told us that they didn't think she was going to live, but that they were going to do brain surgery and uh, change our life forever. Uh, sure. That was 15 years ago next week, and wow. uh, they told us she wasn't going to live. They'd do what they could, and um, so... I told the doctor, let's pray. He said, well, we don't have time to pray. Uh, I said, well, we're going to pray and, and put that in God's hands. And he said, well, he didn't believe in God. And I said, well, we do. And, and, and my wife would want us to pray. And yeah. So we prayed. And uh, seven hours later, he came out and said, you know, we did the best we could. But her, she's probably going to be a vegetable if she lives. She'll never come home from the hospital or a facility, but uh, she's probably not going to make it. But when we went in to see her, she had tubes everywhere and mm-hmm. uh, machines hooked up, so many machines, you, they couldn't get them all in the room where she was. I mean, she had uh, bleeding on the brain and she had, oh man, I, I can't even tell you. She, Wow. It was it was a horrible scene, and my poor daughter came, and it just my poor daughter just collapsed almost. I mean, she just said, "Oh, mom," and um, you know. So they prepared us, and uh, she probably wasn't going to make it. But she was never like on life support, but she had a breathing machines and stuff, so that it would be easier. And so after about. Uh, Ten days, uh, doctor said, well, it looks like she's going to make it. We're not sure how it's going to turn. I said, well, that's a miracle. <laughs> and he said, no, that's a metaphysical phenomena. Yeah. Because <laughs> he didn't believe in God, you know. And I said, well, it's a metaphysical phenomena sounds like a miracle to me. But I don't, what do I know? I mean, you know. But So she came out of uh, that and uh, for Five weeks she was in uh, intensive care and then uh, got to the point where they couldn't keep her in intensive care any longer, so they put her in a skilled nursing facility, a bunch of machines and stuff hooked up on her. And um, uh, My daughter would stay there as much as she could, and then I'd come and stay there as much as I could. For, for six months, we just did everything we could, man. They kept telling us she wasn't going to get any better, but she showed signs. They put a feeding tube in. They put a trach in. They put catheters in. They put all kinds of, and 
but she didn't even have a skull, so her face was all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were going to, they had frozen her skull, so they were going to put it back in, and they took her back in, did surgery on that, and and uh, then she got infected after about six months. She got septic, and, and she went back into intensive care, and they told her I was going to lose her again because her, her blood pressure dropped to 34, and her heart rate was 144, and so they had to fill her up with liquid and blew her up like, man, she was huge. I mean, she just looked like a blimp. And, wow. Uh, but they had to do that to keep the blood pressure up, and so told us, you know, she's not going to make it through this, and she's not going to survive this either. So I prayed with her. I said, honey, if you want to go to heaven, you go ahead, but if you're going to stay, I'm here. If you go to heaven, I'll be there soon, and if you don't, then, Lord, it's in your hands, and, Lord, she belongs to you more than she belongs to me. You love her more than I do. You gave her to me. She's yours, Lord, and she would want to be in your will and do your will and follow you, and so, Lord, she's in your hands. Take over this situation. And so we took her back to the nursing home and she got had some more brain surgeries. They put a plastic uh, polyethylene plate in her head and did some other things and told us that she was good enough that uh, we could take her home. So 14 years ago, next week we brought her home and she's been home ever since and she hadn't been back. <laughs> And, and so she's, she's and, not on life support. She's not on. She's she, on a feeding tube, a trach, and a catheter. But she's alive on her own. And accord. she can do herself. She gives me. She can't walk or talk, but she can give me the thumbs up. She can point up to heaven. Jesus, number one. She can uh, blink, and if she works hard enough, she can nod her head. And I know you've seen her give her the thumbs up yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And she's very aware. She just caught in a body that doesn't work. You can even hear her try to make the sounds of words. She just can't get the words out. Wow. She can't. And she she has, since you brought her home, she has improved over time. Well, yes. Uh, yes. I won't say she's, uh, they have this thing called the Glasgow Coma Scale, and it's uh, three to 15, three's brain dead, and that's it. And she was a four. Uh, when we brought her, uh, brought her home, she was a nine, and now she's 11. So. Wow. Fifteen is supposed to be normal. I'm probably a two, but <laughs> anyway, she's. I mean, she, she knows what's going on. When like like when we get your newsletter, I put it up there, and and she, you can see her eye going back and forth over the text, not just wow. the picture. So she's absorbing the stuff, but it takes her a while. She can't just automatically do something. I mean, she has to. It's work for her. And uh, so, but I praise the Lord and, and her and I have some great, listen, I can tell she's in touch with the Lord. So many things have happened that we just know it's a God thing. It is a God thing. Just uh, how he provided the doctor that uh, finally helped us get her a neurosurgeon that became like a, a best friend uh, wow. and then nurses, um, people in support, but um how God, uh, she's been on insurance and kicked off and because we weren't old enough for Medicare. So, yeah. And, uh, so you, you just, you know, you just have to work out all those details. But, uh, the simplest thing I can tell you is that it'd be pouring down rain and she'd have to go to the doctor or something. And, and, um, 
it would stop raining when we took her in. It rained the whole time we was in there, and then when we take her out, it stopped raining again. Now that sounds like, you know, okay, uh, sure. it's coincidence. Sure. Okay, well, you call it coincidence, I call it, <laughs> I call it providence. But it wasn't just that. But now I met a doctor that comes to the house. Wow, good Christian man, good godly man. And he goes to the same church we go to now. Uh, him and his family, we've become good friends. Uh, nurses, just. Uh, I can't tell you how many times it's been a God thing. Bills have come up. I didn't have the money. I'm living on Social Security or whatever. And God just, uh, somebody that I'd counseled before sent me some money. I think I remember you sending me some money at one time. That, Probably not enough. But. Well, <laughs> in fact, uh, uh, my caretaker found a check in the garbage that you sent. <laughs> I got a lot of letters from him wound up in the car. <laughs> but this one had a check. She said, did you know this one had a check in it? And I said, no, I think you sent me $300. Oh, wow. So anyway, <laughs> you said it was, you know, and I, so, but it, it's been amazing. Like the washing machine broke down and we had to get a new one. It would just come in the mail. I mean, it's just like, just every needs been supplied. Every need. We not only have all we need, we have most of what we want. I mean, I, uh, it's amazing. The Lord just continues to supply our needs. Wow. But uh, mostly just people and things that have happened. Uh, <clears throat> my daughter had quit her job, moved in with me, and I was paying her insurance and stuff. And she just said uh, all she ever wanted to be was married and have kids and serve the Lord, you know. And she said, Dad, I guess I'm just going to be mom's caregiver. And I said, well, that's a good thing. And lo and behold, she comes home from church one day and, she said, Dad, I met the man I'm going to marry. I said, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, she's, she's, she's 30, 37, 38 years old, so yeah. she'd been single, and, you know. And uh, he calls me on Tuesday and says, I'm going to marry your daughter. I said, well, we'll see about that, you know. And I met him. He was a great guy. He's in the Coast Guard. and uh, But uh, they got married, and so now I'm, what am I going to do? I, I can't. I mean, I need a little bit of help. I had to still have to work and stuff. So uh, God sent us a caregiver that I had met when we were taking care of somebody else. And uh, that person told him about our situation. And she came, uh, she came in here from California. Her life was a mess. And <clears throat> when she met it, she fell in love with Paulette and Paulette yeah. fell in love with her. And she's been with me for 12 years. And, uh, <clears throat> She takes care of Paul like her own mother. And Praise the Lord. So it's just been a blessing, and it's helped her uh, uh, tremendously to get closer to the Lord. And uh, so, so many things. Those are just one ten out of a thousand that I can tell you about of how God has not just sustained us and not just provided and protected, but God has blessed us. God has abundantly provided above and beyond all that we can ask or think. And um, I can't tell you there's never been a day, you know, you find out you're not going to have insurance and you don't know if you can pay the next bill. Right. Uh, you don't know if you can buy the uh, the formula that she requires or the medication. Um, she gets, a, she t has a little eye on me that she, when she fell, she not only had the brain trauma, she broke her shoulder, she broke her pelvis. Wow. She even broke her toe. So, I mean, that's how hard she hit the ground. 
all that healed up and and, and it's good now. But uh, you never know, you know, the supplies you're going to need and stuff. Uh, and yet, God has uh, just miraculously taken care of it. I tried to get her own <coughs> insurance, and she'd been denied. And I'd sent letters and called, and <coughs> so finally one day I called and. It says if you know somebody's extension, punch in the button. And I didn't know anybody's extension, but I punched in the number. <laughs> and I got somebody, and I just said, listen to my story. And then tell me who I need to talk to. I said, please don't hang up. Just listen. And you, you may not be the person, but you maybe you know the extension or something you can give me. To, they heard my story and got me with the right person. And the person that day said, well, I don't think we're going to be able to do anything. And then I got a call the next week and said they're going to insure her. So God just does stuff. Praise the Lord. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going on and on. No, you're fine. She's she's a wonderful thing to go on about because it's every minute of her life is a testimony to our great and wonderful Savior. Uh, So it's not just he'll supply all of your needs or he'll, you know, this. No, he's a good God. He's a gracious God. He's a bountiful God. He's an abundant God. He's a... uh, an oversupplier. He, he he doesn't give us the minimum. In fact, we'd probably have more if we just trusted him and had more sure. faith. And and so I'm I'm totally committed to his taking care of her. And uh, I just hope I don't get in the way and mess it up. You know. <laughs> Amen. But it's every day has been a test. Almost something happens almost all the time that this is God. This is a God thing whether it's supplies we couldn't get. But she I was going to tell you about this one ointment she gets. It's $118 just for a little tube of it, okay? Her, she takes some uh, other medications, $418. I couldn't afford that. I mean, about a month I'd be out of it. And God has supplied it, and so the insurance takes care of it. Wow. I just thank God and praise Him. And I'm a blessed man. Amen. Sorry, I couldn't no, stop. No, no, thank you. I mean, that that's, you know, a big part of what I wanted, you know, people to know about you is you've been by her side the entire 15 years and gave up every other aspect of your life just so you could be there to take care of her because you made a vow to God that you were going to take care of her in sickness and in health. And, and you've absolutely done that. I, I won't say I gave up anything anymore. And I gave up something to follow Jesus. You sure. know what I mean? Uh, sure. People say, well, I, he gave up this again. If it was the other way around, she'd be doing more for me than I'm doing for her. Sure. And she's still a better wife than I am a husband. <laughs> Amen. And still closer to the Lord than I am. And and still, if I didn't have her, uh, you know, I wouldn't have as the opportunities that I've had. But also, we, we've led a lot of people to the Lord in this home because of her. And when I'm counseling people and well, they don't seem to be getting it, or I'm not getting through. I take them in there and introduce them, and I'll tell the husband, your wife's in worse shape than my wife is. <laughs> I said, not necessarily physically, but your wife's insecure, and my wife's not insecure. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or I say, your husband needs your help and needs your respect and appreciation, and you're dependent on him and not on yourself. And, yeah. you know, it's helped some couples uh, to see things differently sure. and uh, realize that. It, it better or worse, rich or poor, and, and all that. The vow you make 
It's the death of your part. Right. That's it. Amen. To death of your part. And if, you know, some days I'm not as good at it as I am other days, and I can't tell you I don't ever get tired or discouraged or this is a pretty good load or yeah, yeah, my shoulder hurts or it's my a heavy load. load. Yes, you know, uh, but I certainly don't get, uh, you know, I don't say I don't have a blue day here and there, but I don't get depressed or down or feel sorry for myself or like, oh, you've given up so much. I, I haven't given up anything. If anything, I've had more blessings and more opportunities this way. Amen. So I, I know I don't feel like I've made a sacrifice. I'm hopefully it's a service. I mean, and, 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 but I'm doing this unto the Lord. He doesn't need me. I need him. He can take care of it better than I can. <laughs> yeah. If something happens to me, somebody says, well, you know, what happens to you? What's going to happen to her? He loves her more than I do. She's his. Mm-hmm. She belongs to him. Right. That's his job, isn't it? <laughs> and mine is to do the best I can with what he's given me to do. Amen. That's it. Sorry. No, you're, you're fine, brother. Now, over the years, you've not only pastored churches, but you've also been been in, involved in ministry as a Christian counselor. And that's how I came to know Hughes because I was, I was in trouble and my mom needed to find, uh, we'll just say it was, it was court mandated that I seek counseling. And so my mom searched for a counselor and came across an ad or, 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 you know, somehow she came across a Christian counselor in South Haven, Mississippi and, took me over there and, and it was you. And so you and I began to meet regularly, but how did you get involved in that form of ministry and, and, in, and how has it been helpful to people or what, what opportunities has it afforded you? I think I've always been a counselor. I'm not an exhorter. As my gift is prophecy. I tell the truth and I'm going to go after it. <laughs> uh, I stay with it until uh, often I maybe misuse it because I maybe have caused a relationship because I've been so, some people think I'm dogmatic and headstrong and all that, uh, but I'm not just an you know encourager and uh, and I need to be one. I, uh, my wife got the gift of mercy and she needed it with me. But, uh, just loves everybody and just wants to help her. But I, counseling, I begin to realize that preaching is wonderful and people may get something and every preacher. It's different now. Well, if you do the right kind of preaching, you won't have to do any counseling. Well, Jesus was a counselor. Mm -hmm. He spent far more time counseling than he spent preaching. Yeah. He spent far more time with individuals than he did with crowds. Sure. Now, he had crowds, and he did his thing. and Okay, but he spent a lot of time just with a few. Yeah. And I began to realize it was much more effective in the sense of personal opportunity to lead people to Christ, but also to help them to grow to full maturity in Christ and not just try to throw a bunch of stuff out and hit a crowd and hit, hope some of them take it. Some sure. them don't. Right. Because we're so socialized and everything at church that we're in a routine and a comfort zone and we're in a place where over here we heard it and you know, I've heard all the great preachers, and I've, you know, and I'm here to see my friends. I'm here to, you know, and fellowship is great, and see your friends is all good and all that. Yeah. But I don't know how much attention everybody pays to the preacher. Uh, for um, 
Just try it some Sunday. Ask your pastor to hold up a $20 bill and ask somebody without looking, without going back and to name the last five sermons he preached. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably won't be too many who can tell him what he preached on the last five Sundays. Yeah. Unless he's in a series maybe or something. But uh, he talked about God. Well, yeah. I, I hope, <laughs> hopefully somewhere. Uh, I just found that this was the most effective way. And some I, I, I've trained for, you know, I, I, I realized that I studied a lot of psychology and philosophy and all that, but I knew that. And I listened to even some so-called Christian counselors. I'm not saying they're not Christians. I just, but they were more Christian psychologists or trying to what we call integration of, 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 right. of, of the world with the, the secular with the spiritual and and I said, that's not me. I'm, I'm a biblical counselor. Right. And God created us. He wrote a manual. If we follow it, it works. If you don't follow it, you mess up. Yeah. Now, how much we know about the book he wrote and how much it affects us, that's between him and you. Uh, you know, all I can do is present the truth to you, tell you this is what God says. And a lot of people say, well, that's how you feel or that's what you think. Well, what I think and what I feel doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter whether I'm the dumbest or the smartest. What I think and feel doesn't matter. It's what God says. Right. And if you're mad about that, or you don't like that, or you don't believe that, and that's between you and Him, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. You know. Uh, sometimes it says it, and I, I don't even like it. But uh, it's what it says, and that's what I'm supposed to live up to and do, and right, and be. And I don't get caught up. The Bible doesn't get caught up in so much of uh, uh, legalism. Or license, it gets caught up in relationship to Him. If you're filled with the Spirit, these things won't happen in your life. And if you are filled, aren't filled with the Spirit, the world's going to get in there. Yeah. If you're filled with the Spirit, you don't have to worry about this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't. That, that never even comes up. Right. If, and if you have to tell somebody you're spiritual, you're probably not spiritual. They ought to be able to see it. Sure. Uh, the Bible says, and it'll overflow out of your life. In other words, they ought to just see the drippings. You know, just the smell ought to be there, if nothing else. I mean, just that people can tell he, the, the disciples had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And there were times when they had, they had been with him, they hadn't been with him. I mean, they had heard him. They 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 heard it. Yeah. But they weren't. They weren't. Listening, they weren't paying attention. They didn't follow through. Sure. But then there were times you could tell they'd been with Jesus. Amen. Something happened, and that's what counseling can do if a person will let them. A lot of people don't like that kind of counseling. They want you to feel sorry for them and poor little thing, and that's the way you were brought up. And uh, I'm sorry, your mother abused you, your father abused you. And this happened, that happened. And I'm not saying those things aren't bad. They're terrible and they're awful and. Mm-hmm. Uh, God forbid, but I can't do much about what happened. I can only tell you what God wants to do. Sure. And if we'll follow him, he'll straighten the past out. Amen. And uh, just like he's forgiven you and and forgotten, and not forgotten maybe in the sense that he can't bring them up, but he, does, he chooses not to remember them. Sure. I mean, our God can do anything, but he says, I'll hold them not against you anymore. Well, that's, right. that's the way we serve the Lord. Right. And when I mess up now, I know it a lot quicker, and hopefully I don't stay as long. 
yeah. in the mess. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, hopefully, I, the closer I get to him, the, the sooner I recognize that this is not what he wants and the less amount of time I stay there, hopefully. Sure. And so that's why I like counseling. That's why I, I can do it now here. I, I bring people here and, and uh, God can straighten them out if they want to be straightened out. Amen. You can't make a mess. He can't make a message out of. You can't have a failure. He can't make a future out of. You know, you can't have. He takes my test and makes a testimony. And, you know, he, he, <laughs> yeah. he just, he, he's that kind of God. Amen. Amen. Now, currently, in, in your efforts to take care of Miss Paulette, you don't, you don't get out as much as you used to. And though you do, do have some people who may come here to your home for, for counseling from time to time, you've really turned prayer into a, a major aspect of your, your ministry, and you include Paulette in that. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how, how the two of you do that together and, and what that's about? Well, prayer has definitely become a more important or, or I won't say more important, a more vigorous a part of our life, a more a detailed part of our life, a more involved. It's something we can do together. When we're praying, she can squeeze my hand. You'll see tears run down her eyes, especially when we're praying for family members or things, especially when when we see that there's a special need. Uh, God just... And we'll pray, and uh, till, till till we see it through. I mean, till, till God does, you know. Uh, and when God chooses, maybe not to do it. When and where and how we think it ought to be done, that's when we have to show our faith and trust Him. You know, people say God says yes, no, or wait a while. I don't think God ever says no, and I don't think He ever says wait a while. I just think he says, you see time, I don't see time, because there is no time for him. It's all now for him. Yeah. And he can't say no, because he says, if you pray in my will, the Father's not going to deny his son. Right. So when it doesn't happen, when and where, I, what did I pray for? Thy kingdom come and thy will to be done. So maybe I don't understand what his will is, and I need to pray, Lord, sure. put me in your will and help me see your way that's superior to what I'm thinking it ought to be. Yeah. It's not a day I don't pray that my wife won't be able to talk. Although she may say, Richard, leave me alone. God, <laughs> shut up or whatever. You know, get out of here. Give me some space or something. I don't know. But it may be that that makes me work harder at hearing her, and I need to hear from God. Because a lot of people just pray and walk away. We say it's conversation with God, but when does he talk? We don't give him a chance to respond. And so right. when we pray, we give God an opportunity to respond. Sure. And his will is is not he lets her talk. His will is in my time, in my way, she will talk. And uh, if I needed her to talk, she'd talk. And right now I need her not to talk so that others will listen and better and seek more. So I can't say he said no because sure. I didn't pray for me. And for her, I prayed for his will to be done. I would love to hear her voice. Amen. 15 years without hearing your life. Wow. Hearing the person you love the most, not be able to. You can feel her. You can sense her. You can squeeze her. But to hear the words. You can even hear her moan and groan and try to say it and get it out. But you'd love to hear that. So why 
God, that's not something bad I'm asking for. Sure. It's not something, Lord, that you can't do. I know he can do it. But it's something you hadn't done because his will is he's got a better plan, a better way. And then right now, this is not part of that. Mm. So that's a joy and a rejoicing that I can put that in that perspective for it to be his blessing and not mine. His choosing and not my choosing, and his will and not my will. So he didn't say no. He said, You prayed for my will. Wow. So he never says no. Right. Never says wait a while. Because according to him, the answer's already on the way, you know, and she will be healed. Eventually, I will hear her voice. When she says, Thank you, Lord, I'm home, you know? Yeah. I'm glad to be in heaven, Lord. Richard, I'm glad you're here with me, you know? Let's go see Jesus. Amen. And, uh, so it's not like he didn't answer the prayer. Because thy kingdom come and thy will be done. We forget that. Yeah. He didn't answer my prayer. I've been praying 20 years so-and-so to get saved. Yeah. <laughs> God will save them when God's ready to save them. It's not your work. It's his work. It's not his will. I mean, your will. It's his will that they be saved. Yes, sir. So, do I wish sometimes it was mine? I can't say I don't. But I'm thankful I have the faith to believe His will is better than mine. Wow. Amen. And what He wants and His plans in 15 years is better than my plan. Yeah. (laughs) Now, who in your life has been your greatest influence? Probably my mom and dad, but my mom mostly because of the love she taught me for the Word. I can't tell you what it's like. To go to a Bible school and hear people talk about the Bible, and you already know what others have never heard. Now, I don't say that like I know I'm smart. Sure. It was drilled into my head over and over, so it was like, you better know what. <laughs> you might get to eat if you don't. So. But it's one of my favorite things that's, to eat. That's a good idea. You want food? <laughs> but I learned this first. I'm thankful that... Uh, when, when in my theology classes or whatever they were, there were questions come up, I was able to answer them. And, and you know, uh, because my mother taught me the Word, and she taught me to love the Word, not just to know it. Amen. And, to, and to, to feast upon it and to uh, let it permeate my life. You know, I think of those verses, He honors His Word above His name. Mm-hmm. I think at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. So how important is his word? Yeah. It says that thy word was found and I did eat them and they were unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Yeah. <laughs> so was there something specific your your mom did that that encouraged that love? Was was there like a a way she approached it or or I could see it in her own life. Okay. And what a difference it made in our family. And uh yeah. And thankfully, I had a preacher at the little church, not where I was saved necessarily, but the church in Macon Road where he preached the word, Brother L.F. Gasway, and he loved the word, and he he taught the word. Amen. Taught me how to be a soul winner, taught me how to, you know, um, just uh, love people and serve the Lord. And Yeah, I would say, you know, I had a lot of great people I've known or preachers or whatever, you know, but just 
my mom, just love for the word. Amen. Amen. This is one of my favorite questions I'd like to ask the various men that I've, I've had the, the privilege to interview. And, and it's, it's kind of broad and you can take it, you know, uh, you can answer it from whatever direction you feel, you feel is, is right. Um, but the question is, how does your daily life reflect your faith in Jesus Christ? I want to say it's kind of the other way around. I wouldn't have a daily life without my faith in Christ. Right. I would have given up. I would have quit. I wouldn't be able to handle it. Sure. Too many things out of my control. I have to be under his control. And my faith, you know, he gives every man a measure of faith, but then he increases your faith. And faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of God. But also, anything without faith does not please God. Mm-hmm. And um, faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And faith, has anybody even had faith? There's a grain of mustard seed so that it could say to this mountain be thou removed. <laughs> What's that talking about, you know? Sure. I just trust God. Because I didn't. I wouldn't. There's no way that we could be where we are today and be able to see and do what we do without him. Mm-hmm. It's evident this is his work. Right. I've messed up a lot, but he straightened up a lot, too. Amen. And he can. And he will. What advice would you give young people just starting out in the Christian life? Get in the Bible. Read it. Study it. Learn it. Love it. Live it. Like it. The biggest problem in the church today is the ignorance of his people, of his word. Right. You want to know God's will. He wants you to know it. Believe you me. He wants you to know his will. And he has revealed that will in his word. Sure. People have been in church years and years and years. And I'm not talking about hard questions like, you know, who's the third son of Josiah or, you know, the priest or something. I'm not not talking about details like that. The ignorance of God's people, of his word. Yeah. Even the stories we know, Daniel in the lion's den or David and Goliath. Okay, we know the story, but it reads like Jack and the Beanstalk. You know what (laughs) I mean? Or Mary had a little lamb or something else. What does it mean? Right. How does that work in my life? Sure. What what's the difference between Jack and the Beanstalk and David and Goliath or 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 Daniel and the Lion's Den or Jonah and the Whale or whatever? I mean, okay, is that just you know stories? Is it just? And that's why the world doesn't believe what we talk about, right? Because they don't see it real in our lives. Because we're really we don't talk about it like it's real. We talk about it like one of the other stories. Sure. And so what does it mean? Now, I'm not going to take time today to tell you all that, and I think you ought to find out for yourself. Yeah. But why does it? Why does he give the details about Solomon's temple? Why is that important? Why would God put that in there? Right. You know, what about Noah and the ark? They made films and movies and stories, but what? what's God trying to tell us? Yeah. What does that mean to me today in my life, my situation? Sure. The ignorance of God's people. I'm supposed. I mean, supposedly Christians. And I'm not saying they are or not. I, you know, I, I, I can't.
can't say somebody is or isn't a Christian. That's between them and their Lord. But if you don't love his word, do you love him? Right. If you don't want to know his word, do you want to know him? Right. I'm afraid we know more about movie stars and athletes, and I'm not going to say that's wrong either. You know, hey, I'm a sports fan or whatever, but how much do you know about Jesus from his word? Sure. Man, I just don't understand why more Christians don't spend more time in his word. We memorize a lot of songs. We memorize recipes. We memorize, but we don't know the word. How many Bible verses do you know? Yeah. Ask people to stand up sometime and say, we're going to have a verse down. <laughs> you know, say a Bible verse and we're going to keep quoting them. And as long as somebody's standing, you know, winner's going to get 20 bucks, you yeah. know, or something. <laughs> see how many verses they know. Sure. Oh, I can't memorize. Don't tell me that. Right. I don't want to hear that. Right. You know this and that. You know when all your favorite programs are on, you know uh, you know, you know this and that and the other one. one, one that word is more than life. Yeah. In it yeah. are found the treasures. Amen. So, I, I mean, I, that's probably the, the best advice I can give you is you get in God's word and just study it until you run out. And yes, sir. I've been doing it all my life, and I, had, I hadn't even gotten close. So. <laughs> Amen. I, okay. Amen. All right, this last section is a series of comparison and contrast questions. And they are, it's kind of a personality thing. There's a little details pe- people like to argue over. I don't have any personalities. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so basically I'm going to call out uh, two terms that contrast each other. And the one that, that is, appeals to you or that that is um, that relates to you more you just shout back whichever one you think it is and you can elaborate as much as much or as little as you want so so it's I've it's said enough be, already I'm probably in trouble but sure no. No, well it's meant to be kind of these are little details people argue over you know like uh, call or text or you know uh, you know Coke or Pepsi that that kind of thing and and they can see whether they agree with you or they think you're a heretic so <laughs> so the the first one is call or text call call book or ebook book yeah <laughs> email or letter letter yeah I thought so driver or passenger passenger <laughs> really I wouldn't have thought that Coke or Pepsi Neither. Neither. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Dogs. Dogs. Android or iOS? I don't know what those are. <laughs> Sunrise. You shouldn't or- either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably would have saved a lot of trouble in life if I didn't. Um, sunrise or sunset? Mm, I'd say both. I like them both. But I'd say sunrise is, is, is great. Amen. But I like them both pretty much. Laundry or dishes? Dishes. <laughs> Mornings or nights? All day. All day. Coffee or tea? Neither. Neither. <laughs> Fruits or veggies? Neither. Neither. <laughs> Sweet or salty? Salty. Really? 
Kristen is is more of a salty chips over. Oh, I, I have to keep her away from the chip. chips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mountains or ocean? Oh man, I love both, but mountains. Okay. Africa or Asia? Asia. Man, I thought I could depend on you. City or country? City. Really? Yeah, I'm a city okay. boy. All right. Give me the concrete. Give me the people. <laughs> give me the asphalt and the pavement. Yeah. Give me the crowds. I like the outskirts. <laughs> I don't like the country, man. No, I think I could do well in either. I, I enjoy being in the city. I, there, there's a nostalgia. There I don't mind visiting the country, but I don't live there. Yeah. Well, I, I would rather live in the country, but spend a lot of my time in the city. So. <laughs> Sarcastic or serious? I'll be sarcastic. Really? <laughs> to myself. Well, brother, I love you dearly, and, and I'm so glad I got to do this with you. And, and it was, Sorry it took so long. but I, It was extremely important for me to have this opportunity with you, and, and I think people are really going to be blessed and encouraged to hear, hear, hear more about you and learn more about you. I've told a lot of people about you, and, and so this, this just provides a great format for, for people to be able to hear it from you, and, and, and it'll be out there. They can be encouraged by it. Thank you so much for, for doing this. I hope they don't cut you off with the social media. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be fine. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.